You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. We've got another great show on talking about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And it's amazing to me that so many people have already forgotten it. And uh, yet it's a very important situation. We were there 20 years. With that being said, we're going to start the show like we always do with a moment of silence for those that have given the ultimate and served our country so well and those that are serving and our future of those that are coming up to serve. So we're going to take a minute out to uh, have a moment of silence and we'll be right back with Philip Forsberg. Thank you for taking a moment out to uh, think of all of the folks that have served over the years and those that are serving right now for you and me. And uh, the other thing that we always do, and everybody loves it, and I get a lot of comments on it, and that is playing a Jody before we get going. So. That uh, portion about old man, I can certainly relate to. And uh, I guess I'm lucky that I'm getting older every day. But uh, we have Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg on. And Phil is our regular reminder of Desert Chill and Desert Storm. How are you doing today? I'm well, David. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing fine on a, on a rainy day. And... Uh, I guess I'm glad to get the moisture, but uh, doing just fine. There's a a little bit of noise there, Phil, in the background. I don't know, or around your microphone or something. But anyway, let's get going. And uh, I had a question. How do you feel about the withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan? Well, um, David, I, I did volunteer uh, to go to Afghanistan, but uh, the, the army declined my offer. Um, <clears throat> I've uh, doing my civilian job flying cargo around the world. I've, I've flown over Afghanistan many times, and I've talked to a great many people who had served there. Um, 
you know, <clears throat> uh, I, I just, I'm, I get concerned about this whole idea that, uh, that, that we're going to do nation building, you know, um, our defense department and our, our, uh, armed forces are not, they're not the state department. And, uh, it, uh, they, we need to stay, keep our armed forces in, in our lane. I, it's my personal opinion that, uh, when, it, when a country becomes a, a clear and present danger and an existential threat to the United States or our way of life, then, uh, you know, when all other means fail, we use, uh, we use our armed forces. But I, in my opinion, that we should go in and uh, uh, eliminate their ability to uh, be a threat to us, stop the threat, and then probably just leave. Uh, and just tell them, if you become a threat again, we'll be back, and it will be ten times worse. And that's the way I'd leave it. Let the State Department figure it out if they want to do nation building. That's not what our troops are there for. Exactly, and I I totally concur with that. And, you know, I think nation building sort of comes from the... uh, uh, the old World War II philosophy, I guess, of that we've conquered a country and that it's our duty to go back in and set up their go- government of sorts, their waterworks, their utilities, whatever and whatever, and uh, get them back on their feet. And I, I'm like you. That's that's not our job. That's not the military's job. And. Uh, <laughs> You know, and that's why we had a civil affairs unit. But even at that, that's not really, you know, we're trained to shoot and run. Right. Not run away. <laughs> yeah. Well, not run away, run towards, but at the same token, uh, I don't uh so, uh, I don't think we've ever run from any place, have we? Uh, no, I mean, we have retreated. <laughs> uh, that's when the Indians yeah, were coming after us. That's uh, that's just a uh, method to preserve your forces for the fight. So, uh, <clears throat> no. And um, even in Vietnam, uh, our armed forces secured every military objective they were assigned and um, you know if the, if the country decides it's not worth it anymore you know don't don't tell our armed forces that they lost because you know they were there at, at the discretion of uh, of the nation and the commander in chief right <clears throat> and with our volunteer military um they need they need all the things they can get, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, um, you, you, you know, know talk, just uh, if I may, David, you know, sure. talking about uh, civil affairs and all. Uh, as I've said on many occasions, one of my great personal heroes of uh, military history was uh, 
uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, and uh, you know they uh, they tried to get him into a, a nation building thing. We <clears throat> every all the territory he had overtaken, uh, the civil government had failed or fled or was in rebellion against uh, the nation, and so um, you know he his troops had to do all the the civil affairs things to deliver the mail and take out the trash and run the hospitals and uh, law enforcement. And uh, <clears throat> and that's why he basically, uh, when he got to Atlanta, took over Atlanta, he uh, basically burned anything that was of military significance and said, uh, you know, evacuate, evacuate the city. Uh, anybody who has leanings with the South, let them go South. And anybody who's got leanings with the North will conduct you to the North. But <clears throat> city's going to be evacuated, and because uh, he wasn't going to use his troops to uh, to run the civil government in Atlanta, so uh, that was sort of in his thinking there. And I I got to agree with it. <clears throat> And uh, to your knowledge, how many times have we come in and tried to do that after we conquered a country? Uh, well, you know, uh, we had a bad experience in uh, in World War One. We allowed, uh, I think, Woodrow Wilson, uh, whatever you think of him, he uh, he had a plan to try to bring these uh, former enemies, you know, in, into the big tent, and I think. Uh, the UK and and France, they all they wanted was revenge, and uh, and that you know went poorly. And so, at the end of the Second World War, while we, uh, you know, <clears throat> the, uh, George C. Marshall had come up with the Marshall Plan, and and we did rebuilding in uh, in Germany and and Italy and and Japan. Uh, and it, you know those <clears throat> those nations uh, uh, kind of were actually took to it pretty well, and the Marshall Plan worked. I don't know if uh, that was a bad precedent, though. It set people on the path of thinking that they had to uh, they had to uh, come up with a Marshall Plan at the end of every conflict. Uh, uh, I don't know. There, in my opinion, and and this is only my opinion. I've never been to the Middle East or anything else, but uh, it you, there are some areas that you could do that to and have a Marshall Plan of types, but then there are other areas that would never accept anything like a Marshall Plan, and I believe the Middle East would be one. <coughs> well, the. Uh of course, Afghanistan has been known for uh, a couple of centuries as the graveyard of empires. Um, you know, uh, the, the British and then the, the Soviets and, and now us, you know, uh, basically found the place uh, untenable. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the culture there is very uh, unique. Um, and, uh, they're very, very clannish, and uh, it's hard to get inside all the culture there. I will say <clears throat> the one thing that I uh, really feel 
strongly about uh, regards Afghanistan is uh, taking care of the uh, the folks who supported the United States um, in, in our efforts there. Uh, I think not only should they be granted admittance to the United States, they should probably, if anybody should get a fast track to citizenship, it should be them. Has anybody brought that up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> it's very, um, uh, they're, they're having these Afghanis who had uh, had served as our interpreters there and, and uh, helped with uh, our efforts. Of, uh, well, they're, <clears throat> they're kind of being uh, brushed aside. Uh, I know of one fellow that was, uh, he had, uh, he had been granted, uh, access or, you know, uh, entry to the United States, uh, not citizenship, but, uh, I guess they asked him a question if he'd had any dealings with the Taliban. And, uh, when he was nine years old, he'd been instructed by some Taliban folks that had taken him captive to bring them some food and so he did and uh and as a result now they're they're wanting to deport him um there are others that uh you know these folks if they go back into uh afghan society after we leave the taliban comes in and they take these guys and they publicly behead them and and all their relatives and uh it's a uh, it's a very brutal thing. We need, we need to take care of the people that took care of us. Oh yeah. Um, that we had many friends that that had helped us in Vietnam that suffered a great deal um, because they were not granted access to the United States, and I think such uh, a bad precedent. You know. You know what what amazes me? We had a veteran on. Uh I believe two weeks ago, not that long ago, and uh, he really couldn't even use his own name because his wife's family is still in Vietnam, and the Vietnamese, he was talking about the VCs and and all from uh, Vietnam that uh, they would go after her family if they knew who he was, and... Uh, I didn't realize that that kind of thing was still going on. I can see it in, in, with the Taliban, but uh, I didn't know it was still going on in Nam. But evidently, it is. Well, you know, of course, out of an abundance of caution, uh, I'm sure uh, he doesn't want to. <clears throat> he, wa- I'm sure he wants to err on the side of safety. Let's. Um, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing. You put yourself in a position like that. Uh, think about, you know, how you would want uh, your your family um, uh, to be treated, and and what the possible difficulties they could face. Um, well, I, I guess so, it yeah. was. I guess it was sort of like some of the same thing happened uh, shortly after the uh, Cuban crisis, and. Um, when Cubans would come here, they had to use 
fake IDs and everything else to keep their family in Cuba safe. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's a lot of folks in uh, in South Florida that, that could tell you stories about uh, what that regime was like and, and what they're still capable of doing today. Uh, so it's a... <clears throat> You know, it's a difficult thing. We need to we need to have some some compassion on those who uh, you know have extended themselves and endangered themselves for us. Because uh, you know, if we <clears throat> if we can't do that, then uh, it's going to be a lot harder in the future. Oh, absolutely, no question about it. Um, what what? In your crystal ball, where do you where do you think we're going in uh, Afghanistan and uh, with the Taliban? Well, regardless of the size of the Afghan army, um, I would say uh, you know <clears throat> they probably will eventually uh, succumb to the Taliban. Uh, my my opinion, my estimation. Uh, the Taliban has the the methods. Uh, they're quite brutal methods, but <clears throat> the methods to uh, ensure that uh, folks are going to uh, betray them, betray the uh, the civil government that we might have set up there, and uh, <clears throat> you know, keep in mind uh, a great many of our troops, our troops who were wounded or killed over there um, were wounded and killed by uh, folks wearing the Afghan army uniform that uh, were double agents, if you will. Mm. Uh, There's story after story of that. And uh, you you can pretty well bet that uh, that the ranks uh, of the the Afghan army right now probably uh, filled with folks who would turn turn allegiance uh, in a heartbeat. You know, I, I was just sitting here thinking, and and you being a uh, history buff and so forth, and as I was growing up, going through elementary and junior high and high school, that you know. Wouldn't it be nice if we really had an effective United Nations? And the what the League of Nations, it was a big failure. And so far, I haven't seen any particularly great work that the United Nations has done. It seems like even if the UN goes in, it winds up being a U.S. problem. Or the U.S. is the main support of the UN going into anything but you know if you could have a, a UN that I, I compare it to uh, like the referee in a boxing match the UN could go in and keep the two sides separated and accomplish something yeah well uh, of course there, there are a lot of bad actors in the world who are not interested in getting along with anybody they just uh, so they're it's uh, 
when you're up against folks like that, it's it's a bit of a, a fool's errand to try to reconcile them. Yeah. Well, it, it's still a sad situation, and the grief that the uh, the folks of Afghanistan are going through, and I, uh, it, it's it's sort of like our southern border. Uh, I, you can sort of give a little bit of leverage, I guess, is as good a word as any, to uh, to the adults. But I just, you know, what the Taliban and and other tribes do to little girls, and I just, you know, and it's the same way with the trafficking at the uh, southern border. I just, I cringe at the thought of what those kids are having to live through. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's quite sad, but I can tell you... Uh in Iraq, uh, the tactics that uh, our enemies use, the insurgency, uh, they would uh, capture a fellow and, uh, <clears throat> who had no particular uh, zeal to help the Americans or, or, or even, you know, he's just, he's just trying to survive. And uh, they would uh, essentially tell him, okay, what we want you to do is uh, drive this truck full of explosives into the uh, guard posts there where the American base is and detonate it and killing yourself. And uh, if you will do that, <clears throat> we will uh, make sure that your family has a pension uh, in eternity, you know, in perpetuity, uh, take care of them. But if you refuse to do that, then we will uh, brutally kill your family in front of you, uh, doing all sorts of bad things, and then we'll kill you after you've witnessed all this. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I've heard more than one uh, account of, of that sort of thing happening, and it's, uh, you know... <clears throat> very bad but this, these are the kind of people we're dealing with so that have no they have I guess zero morals zero ethics zero anything other than yeah. being scared to death I guess yeah uh, I mean that's that's why they call it terror right yeah uh, uh, and that you know <clears throat> and once you uh, get to a situation where where the ends justify the means, then, then that's what you wind up with, things like that. Hmm. Well, sickening. And the story that you just told is, is sickening. And, uh, you know, as a Christian, it's hard to believe that, and yet you look at Vietnam, and we had the same, not same, but similar situations, many of them in Vietnam, and... You can't believe that humans will treat humans like that, and yet they do. And, you know, tying bombs to little girls or kids to have them deliver them, I just, you know, what kind of human can do that? And yet, 
it's it's just bad and you know and and what you what you've said today phil is and i i don't know how much you actually witnessed but there are a lot of our returning military that have witnessed it and we wonder why we have ptsd um you you can't see or even talk about it or even hear about it and not be affected and this is what uh i think we're seeing more uh, more and more of in the states yeah you know uh on that note david i would like to uh just say to uh <clears throat> any of my brothers or sisters out there that uh might be suffering from ptsd whether it be uh combat or uh, some other uh, event that induced that you you, uh, you really should uh, reach out and, and get help. There's help available uh, if you uh, go to the VA and don't, <clears throat> don't feel like you're getting the, uh, the assistance that you need from the VA then I would uh, highly encourage you to reach out to a uh, service officer from uh, one of the service organizations, uh, veteran service organizations, such as uh, DAV that I work with, the BFW, the American Legion. There are a number of others that are, that are very good, and, and we'll get you the help that, uh, that you need. Well, there, there are other organizations, too. In fact, I'm going to play a spot uh, very shortly, uh, Warriors to Citizens, and this is something they specialize in is bringing the veteran back into society and uh, they specialize in PTSD and uh, and helping the veterans and this is what you know I I get upset in a way and, and yet it's just because they don't know and that's the folks that are not familiar with the military and what the things, whether it was, I guess it really, you know, it goes back, well, it goes back to World War One. It goes back to the first war, period. Uh, the way man will treat man. And, uh, you know, there were, well, obviously, you know, there were horrendous things that happened in World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, and Vietnam. And certainly in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I guess as long as we give in to war, atrocities are going to happen. And it's a shame that that uh, we live in a world that can't get along. And it, well, I agree. And it goes, it goes both directions. And uh, there's some that are worse and some that aren't quite as bad but i tell you what we're going to do we're going to take a break and uh listen to uh rocky blyer right quick about warriors to citizens and then we'll be back with lieutenant colonel philip farsberg right after this hi this is rocky blyer former four-time super bowl champion with the pittsburgh steelers and vietnam veteran as a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. 
over the last 20 years. Broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. And I want to apologize for a little technical difficulty there with uh, one of our programs. Uh, But on live radio, that happens. We're back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg. And, um, Phil, when you came back from Desert Shield and Desert Storm, what, what was your emotional attitude? And were you able to immediately immediately re- readjust to uh, civilian life or and and how was your family reacting to uh, your return I didn't I didn't adjust to civilian life because I was still in the army when I came back I was uh, was in the regular army and I <clears throat> just prior to, to desert storm I had spent a, a short tour away from my wife uh we had no children at the time and uh so i was uh i spent a year uh in central america uh flying uh radio recon missions and um so i came back and uh transitioned into the uh ob1 mohawk and uh and then right away uh we got our alert to go uh, to the desert. It was, uh, of course, Desert Shield at the time, and it blossomed into Desert Storm. Uh, <clears throat> and so uh, when I came back, my family was extremely uh, happy to see me, my wife, of course, and my mom and dad. Uh, they weren't nearby, but uh, they were quite uh, happy. Uh, as far as uh, adjusting and my attitude, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, we we had sort of done things right over there, I guess, uh, in that uh, we didn't stick around for a lot of nation building and, and other nonsense. We uh, uh, we come back uh, just as soon as we could, and uh, President. Uh, George H.W. Bush at the time uh, was true to his word that uh, nobody was going to spend any more time there than they had to. And uh, so <clears throat> they were very deliberate about getting us back. Um, there were some folks that uh, that told me that uh, uh, we hadn't finished the job and we should have stayed there. And, um, 
you know, uh, <clears throat> to them, I can only say, if you will recall exactly what things were like at that time, um, our, uh, our president had a, a great many uh, political adversaries uh, within this country, and they, uh, they were all quite <clears throat> anxious to uh, see him fail, see us fail. Uh, and uh, they did everything they could to, to tie his hands, and they, they made this accusation that uh, this whole thing was trumped up by him in order uh, to pros- prosecute his war. And we were uh, trading uh, blood for oil and all sorts of other nonsense that was patently untrue. And they had uh, sort of backed our president into a corner where he said and had to agree that his only goal was to remove Saddam from from Kuwait so that um, when Saddam left Kuwait, we really had no no alternative but to uh, uh, but to just leave and leave uh, Saddam in place, uh, even though he was a very bad actor, as uh, everybody knew. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, they, were, they, were, they had put him in a position where we couldn't really finish the job, that, uh, you know, where we wanted to say the uh, finishing the job might look like. Um, you know, we, we were... Uh, soldiers and sailors and airmen and marines to the United States and uh, we didn't set policy. We just carried it out. Uh, the uh, military objectives of our nation and uh, when they said it's time to leave we left. And uh, Phil, uh, hypothetically speaking, uh, I've always felt like and particularly recently, that I don't believe our countrymen are capable of handling information, even the, the broadest. And uh, I I feel like that, you know, the, the biggest critics probably know the least about what they're talking about. And um, they couldn't handle the truth if it hit them on the head. And uh, so that's that's why we have intel. That's why we have secrecy. And I'm all for it. Well, yeah. Um, you know, of course, you have to allow that, uh, you know, those folks who uh, tell you to trust them will wind up being untrustworthy. So, uh, you know, exactly. It's sort of a double edged sword. Well, you know, if if they want to get in the know, then let them join up like you did. Let them to be- become a uh, intel officer and climb <laughs> climb the ladder as high as they want to go, and then they can know everything. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I I did work in intelligence. Uh, they put me through intel school, but I think um, my my function was mostly going out and uh, driving a platform around to collect the intelligence. And uh, you know, I certainly was not 
schooled in strategic intelligence. I have my opinions like everybody else. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say that I was in the know. Uh, one thing I did uh, do diligently was uh, follow my whatever legal orders I was given. And, uh, you know, I followed my legal order reluctantly to go to the desert. And I followed my legal order jubilantly to return from the desert. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, let me ask you something. I, uh, I, I don't know where your parents live or anything like that, but when when you touch down, and, and let's just let's just use, uh, again, hypothetically, that, that uh, you're in – you touch down in New York and your family's in L.A. or something, about as far apart as you can get. But let me ask, once you touch down on U.S. soil, it didn't matter how far it was from where you were and where L.A. was. You were home. You were in the United States. Yes. Would you, would you say that's an accurate statement? <clears throat> oh, yeah. And that. Even to this day, when I whenever I travel outside the United States, um, I'm kind of overwhelmed with joy when I return, uh, because this this is my home, and uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade one square inch of any of our states or territories for anybody else's entire country. Amen. I think that's very very well said, and. You know, more people should have that attitude. It, it's it's not our state. It's not our city. It's our country. And we're all part of it. And I just wish more people understood that, that uh, this is the greatest country in the world and it, it belongs to all of us. And yeah. it's a shame that... Folks don't understand it. I think all of them should have a tour somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> uh, it did give me quite an appreciation. I uh, my my grandfather left uh, Sweden uh, at the age of fifteen, and he he wound up uh, eventually getting his citizenship by. Serving in the United States Army uh, during World War One, and um, uh, you know I've been back to the place in Sweden where he came from, and I guess it's a nice enough place, but uh, I, you know it do, it doesn't hold the same attraction for me that uh, that the United States does, and I don't care where in the United States as long as I get to be in the U.S. I'm I'm very happy. You know, it's it's amazing that the folks that were born here can't appreciate the United States like the you know the, the immigrant that's come in and gotten their citizenship and they would be the first to fight you if you tried to take it away from them. And yet, unfortunately, some of the folks that are born here never get the appreciation, never have the appreciation for the United States like they should. And uh, I'm like you. I, I have no desire to be anything else 
Well, I take that back. As long as I'm a Texan and in the United States, and I'm okay. <laughs> well, I love Texas, too. You know, you can take the boy out of Texas, but you can't take the Texan out of the boy. But I love Texas. I love New Jersey. I love Iowa. I love Hawaii and Alaska, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, Guam, anywhere that's U.S. Anywhere that it's U.S. And flying our flag. Yeah. But, you know, this is, uh, like I said, I'd like to see everybody deployed at one point or the other. And I could start a list uh, with some of the folks in the House and Senate. But, you know, uh, it's just incredible. And what we've got here, and, and like I said, your parents could have been across the country from you. But when you landed and you made that phone call, Phil was home. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And getting together was just sort of details. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, and I can recall, uh, you know, one, one thing about coming home was that sort of a different attitude. Uh, <clears throat> had a senior officer that uh, he didn't wind up going to the uh, to the dance with us and uh, he was left behind and I come back and he uh, he had all sorts of uh, unkind words uh, in a uh, staff meeting screaming at me and berating me in front of others and uh, I just kind of shrugged it off and later uh, he came up to me in the officers club and um, he sort of apologized said, I was was hard yelling at you I'm sorry about that I said well you know what sir I just come from a place where people are trying to kill me every day Um, so it doesn't bother me it makes you feel better to yell at me go ahead (laughs) And, and how tall was he after that well, he wasn't a particularly tall man to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He was about, oh, we used to, used to say ass high with razor sharp teeth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And if he's listening, he'll know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. Okay. Unfortunately. Well, you know, this is just like you you mentioned a minute ago, your brothers and sisters. And that's what this is, and that's that's what the military is. And I keep stressing the fact on every show that we do that's that's military oriented is that not only is it a fraternity, but we are the world's first responders. And whether it's uh, locally, we have great EMCs, we have great firemen, great police, or it's internationally, and who's the first one there? The red, white, and blue, without a doubt. And people, people in some of the most foreign of foreign countries will describe how they feel when there's been a disaster and they see that 
the stars and bars are coming their way. And that, you know, they know they're going to get help. And uh, we go all over the world and we we help. And that's that's the most beautiful thing you can say about our military and our country is that we help. And if if you're a high school senior graduating and haven't figured out what you want to do or you're getting out of college, you're getting your degree and you hadn't figured out what you want to do, I always stress that the military, one of the branches, has exactly what you want to do. And you'll find it fascinating. You'll make friends that you'll have for the rest of your life. And you'll you'll feel a part of the country like you never have before in your life. And it looks so good on that resume when you come out of the military that you were, uh, whether you come out as an officer or enlisted or whatever, you did the job. And an employee or an employer knows that, and they want good military folks. And you can basically name your own price. But we're going to have to... Uh, Take another break right quick, and then we'll get back and uh, finish us out. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised to right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do always thank you for listening and spreading the word, as a matter of fact. Uh, We're getting more and more folks that have learned about America's Web Radio, and uh, we've got great shows, absolutely great shows, be they about veterans like... uh, Pete Mecca's show called A Veteran's Story. 
Uh, we've got other military type shows. We've got medical shows. Just almost anything that you would want. And the one thing I always forget to do, and I'm going to do it right now, and that is always listen to America's Web Radio with a pencil and paper at hand because you'll find information out that you had no idea about. And uh, Phil has brought to the table many, many times veterans' benefits that either the veteran might not know about or particularly the veteran's family might not know about that are available to veterans that have served, and we owe it to them. So, Phil, did I say anything wrong? Uh, No. Uh, I I would add that uh, these uh, benefits are... uh, What I want to emphasize is that they're they're earned. They are earned by the veteran, and... uh, the uh, you know the veteran should not be at all timid about uh, accepting uh, or making full advantage uh, of these uh, benefits. Oh, absolutely not! And you know, it's and again, uh, you you outrank me by a, a number of <laughs> zeros, but um, you know it. The bottom line is you served. And, you know, I don't know of many, even officers, that go into their commanding officer and say, I want to go here, I want to go there. Uh, Generally speaking, the uh, military, and I assume this is true for all branches, tells you where you're going, and it may not be your first choice, but you don't ask, you you get told, and that's where you go, and um, that's the same way with duty stations. You know, you may you may think you're going to be a uh, in the army band, and you wind up carrying a rifle. You know, is that is that fairly true, Phil? Yeah, I mean, you're welcome to to, to say what you'd like, uh, but uh, in the end, you'll you'll do as you're told. <laughs> And, and that's, you know, just in what you said is a very important point because a lot of people never grew up to learn that. But once they've been in the military, they've learned it. And they carry it back to their job or they carry it back to whatever they do afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know... Uh it's an amazing place to learn uh, organizational dynamics, uh, to study human behavior, see what what people are like under under pressure. Um, I've been in many situations uh, since with uh, where I've had a chance to observe uh, civilians uh, that uh, under the least amount of pressure just seemed to come to pieces. It's a little bit uh, mystifying to me. Uh, but, you know, it's a... It, uh, it's just a basis... Uh, it's just a matter of, of perspective, you know. Uh, like I said earlier, if you've been in a place where people are trying to kill you every day, you, you, you get a different uh, outlook. 
Oh, yeah, like CYA. Well, there's that. But, you know, there's also, you know, you hear people say don't sweat the small stuff. But most people can't really identify what's the small stuff from the big stuff. <laughs> yeah, whether it's a... Uh uh, two, two, three, or a uh, missile coming in. <laughs> Whatever size it is, it really doesn't matter depending on where it hits. Yeah, so, sure. I mean, you have to you have to learn to prioritize the threats, I guess. Yes, sir. But uh, you know, we, uh, I, I have some big concerns about. Uh, what we've just gone through with uh, COVID, and uh, I, in many many cases, I tried to stand back and just look at the public and see how they were reacting, and not worrying about my actions as much as the public's actions. And if I was doing that, I'm sure there were some hostile folks around the world that were probably doing the same thing. And not not belittling COVID, but it wasn't like it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And even with the media blowing it out of proportion, and I just wonder who who's out there that was taking notes, and that does bother me. And yeah, you know, I, I think um, the one thing that COVID should have taught everybody, and I'll spread the rumor right now is that we all no matter what the size of your family is and how close you are in the city or in the country or wherever the Boy Scouts put it the best be prepared because we really don't know what's coming tomorrow yeah uh, you know i single-engine helicopters uh, in the mountains quite a bit and you know you learn to hope for the best and expect the very worst hmm. but uh, there were more than a few times uh, during the whole epidemic scare that uh, I thought to myself you know have these people never faced death before you know, that's a very good question, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of them, you know, my years in college, I, I was an EMT, and so, you know, that that was part of the job, and you couldn't save everybody, and you couldn't expect <laughs> a clean scene every time you pulled up, you know, and... Uh, it doesn't mean that you're hardcore or you're anything other than you're a realist and you accept where you're at and you do your best. Of course. And uh, I'm like you. That's a very good point. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> to answer your question, and I don't know if you wanted an answer or not, but there are a lot of folks, it's amazing, that have never lost a loved one or a friend or whatever and I always find that uh, you know and then they question the wrong things yeah well I mean you know I mean sometimes I see people driving down the interstate 
uh, and they don't realize how close they are to death. You know, a tractor trailer tips over in front of them or, you know, somebody loses control of the vehicle. You know, uh, I don't think these people are prepared for, for what could happen. I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, this is, this is again, one thing that uh, I've been very fortunate. I've always had this knack, but uh, the military even reinforced it. And that's know what's around you. Know your surroundings all the time. And like I used to tell my sons and my coach used to tell me when I was playing lots of baseball is that if you're in the I played second base and uh, if you're out in the field every batter that comes up is going to hit that ball to you and you need to know what you've got to have a plan you've got to know what you're going to do with it yeah. You can't I mean, wait until the ball gets to you to know what to do with it. You got to know in advance. Are you going to break for the ball or, or are you going to let the shortstop get it? You know, yep. which, which way do you need to break? And, you know, uh, and then once you get it, you know, what are you going to do with it? Yep. Well, I mean, so, uh, you know, thinking ahead and, and those are the kind of skills that, that you develop, uh, you know, from life experience is just that in the service, they, they come at you a lot faster. And in combat, it's uh, it's amazing how fast they come at you. <laughs> oh, yeah, and things can change in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, with that being said, we're out of time. And, uh, Phil, as always, thank you for being on today. And we look forward to uh, more Desert Shield, reminding people of Desert Shield and Desert Storm coming up next week. And uh, Thank you, David. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.